Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, the Hour of Truth with Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio, brought to you on the third Tuesday monthly from 1 to 2 p.m. Aetherius Radio Live is hosted by the wonderful Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. They always have an amazing show prepared with wonderful topics such as karma, UFOs, the Mother Earth, the New World, the Next Master, and more. They invite you to discover the cosmic message for this age. Revealed through legendary master of yoga and world-renowned medium, Dr. George King, between 1954 and 1997. So without further ado, I give you your hosts, Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. Hello, everybody. This is Chrissy Blaze, and warm welcome to Richard Lawrence across the waters in England. Hi there, Richard. Hi there, and hi there, Courtney. Hello, Courtney, our producer. So we're all here, and uh, thank you, everybody, for listening in today, and hopefully this will be an interesting show for you. I know it will. So here we are. We're, we're talking about the path of the karmic athlete, and uh, I thought we might rename it, Chrissy, the path of the wounded karmic athlete. Yeah. <laughs> because you and I, are, neither of us are in the best of health at the moment. We won't bore our listeners with that, but... Um, it's certainly uh, based on the karmic athlete, I should say, and not the physical athlete. And it's uh, just an idea, an idea I had for an article uh, which is in uh, this current edition of a magazine over here, possibly the biggest mind-body-spirit magazine over in, in Britain, called Kindred Spirit. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good magazine. It, actually, yeah, and, uh, it's, a, it's a great magazine. And, and I got the idea for this, and I've given a lecture on it actually at the Theosophical Society. I've got a couple more coming up later in the year. Um, but it's totally inspired by the Nine Freedoms, which our listeners are already, of course, very familiar with. And it's also inspired by the figure of Hercules, who, of course, as, as, or Heracles, depending how you choose to spell his name, uh, who, according to classical sources, were the originator of the Olympic Games. Uh, the Olympic Games, I believe, when it started, was very different from what it is now. It was uh, not just a sporting event. It was um, a religious one, too, and a coming together of peoples. And, uh, quite, and there was a lot of mystical activities, as well as the purely physical sporting ones. But, of course, he's an extraordinary figure, Hercules, because in one person... You know, he represents two qualities which we don't often associate together uh, in, in the history of our world anyway. Uh, one, tremendous physical strength and uh, more than physical strength, um, moral uh, and mental strength, e even more, I should say. But also, of course, a, a brilliant mind. I mean, he was known um, and revered. We tend to forget that because of the cartoons and the the modern depiction of him in certain films and TV shows. He was actually a highly revered god uh, or demigod, uh, revered across ancient Greece. For example, a part of uh, Italy, Chrissy, that I often go to, which is the southern part, and right. particularly down the uh, eastern, sorry, the western coast, you know, down past the very famous area of Pompeii and all that, but many, many uh, centuries before Pompeii, of course, that area was very much associated with the Hercules. It was the, you've got a, actually a place called Herculaneum. And he was highly revered. There were altars to him. He was a, a, a spiritual figure uh, with, with a, an outstanding mentality as well as an outstanding physicality. Mm, very interesting, yeah. I think, I think we touched on him, actually, when we covered Avatars and Gods Who Came to Earth, an earlier broadcast, we did, and also yeah. on the fact, yeah, and, and and the fact that he was also uh, the same intelligence, according to our master, Doctor George King, as one who came sometime later, namely Samson. Uh, right. Both very interesting figures. Who, again, Samson had this tremendous strength, this tremendous moral courage, um, but also a fantastic mind. He used, he was known for his riddles, which aren't you know, what we think of as riddles now, Christmas crackers and all the rest of it, but were uh, deep and subtle philosophy. Right. Uh, you know, one of the famous ones, of course, being the uh, 
the lion from the lion that he had to kill. Both Hercules and Samson, as I've mentioned in an earlier show, had to kill a lion with their bare hands. There are tremendous parallels between these two. And uh, in terms of Samson, of course, he had this riddle, which was out of the lion came forth honey, uh, which Dr. King explained to me once, Chrissy, of course, the meaning of that. He asked people the meaning of it. No one could give him the meaning. Uh, was simply that from uh, adversity bring forth triumph mm-hmm. from test and this is something of... I'm sorry sorry no you go on please well, I was what say, I was going to say was the lives uh, of just... the great ones because the, the great strengths which people don't necessarily think of aligned with the great masters and so on but this is what really comes through isn't it the, the yoga yeah. masters and so on. And I was just thinking about Swami Vivekananda as you were talking about Heracles, um, mm. a much lesser master, of course. But he, I love the way that he described this world as um, the great gymnasium. And I think that's oh, a line. Oh, did he? I didn't know that. Yes, this world is a, mm. or this universe is a great gymnasium where we come to develop and strengthen ourselves. And uh, I think... Yeah. That's really aligned with the, the sort of a karmic athlete, because it's, as you say, it's not um, necessarily physicality at all. Mm. And Swami Vivekananda, although, as you say, a lesser master, was a very, very great master, an ascended yes. master today, and, and had tremendous courage and strength and, demonst- and will, of course. But uh, well, I was going to go on to the, the labors of Hercules, you know, which right. were test after test after test, and this, too, is, is something that the karmic athlete has to face. It is a good role model for us because he had to master these tests, tests of physical adversity, tests of uh, you know, mental skill, um, and, and, and tests of fear, and, and all sorts of things were put in his way, and uh, he mastered them one by one by one. And, of course, the, car- the path of the karmic athlete isn't a comfortable path all the time. It has its wonderful moments. And, you know, I don't speak as an expert, but I speak as someone who's traveling along the road. Um, you know, I, I, I have, uh, I think we've discussed this before, Chrissy, but I've come across people who have told me, and I mean um, many people in the years I've been involved in spiritual teaching and so forth, who've told me that through great adversity, has come, the whole purpose of their life has been a turning point from for them. Uh, I'm talking about people who've, who've suffered perhaps some physical hardship or illness, or more likely, in, in the cases I've come across, some mental or emotional um, problem, even down to what, in certain cases, they've told me have been described as breakdowns. But they've said, on, one, on certain occasions, I'm certainly not saying this applies to every case, far from it at all, but they've said that sometimes through that, it's kind of maybe stopped them in their tracks, forced them to reevaluate their lives, and it's been a lifesaver for them. And they found yeah. their path, as it were. It's so interesting. It's a shame we sort of have to go down that road quite often, but um, of course it's not essential that we do to have these great realizations, but, you know, just the nature of, this world and the tests and so on, it's often the case, isn't it? That, you know, well, we shouldn't to... seek it out. Uh, and, and, right. and certainly right. we shouldn't sort of say this is the, the, the nature of the path. But it's certainly oh. a part of it. In one way or another, tests will come along if we really want to go all the way. And that's a very personal choice, of course. But I, but I do think it's a mistake um, to, to look at people in life and you, you can see people uh, who, who, are, who have tremendous, perhaps, wealth, tremendous, inverted commas, happiness, uh, tremendous, inverted commas, success. I say inverted commas because these are all relative to you know, one's true state of, of realization or what really matters. But who, and, and think, well, they have good karma. And see someone else who you know, suffers yeah. from some great limitation of poverty or maybe some form of disability or, or something else. Oh, well, they have bad karma. And that is, not all, that is not correct in the real sense. Certainly everything is karmic. Everything we all go through is karmic in some way, but it doesn't necessarily mean that person has been worse than that person 
uh, at all. It means they are learning certain essential lessons for them. And they could be, you know, much further, much closer to enlightenment, for example, to, um, to, 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 to release from the yoke of reincarnation than the person who appears to be, you know, fit, healthy, wealthy, successful, fulfilled, etc. on this level that we're on. Because, right. you know, I, I think when you and I were talking about this, we were talking about some of the early Christians and what they went through. Uh, and I'm, not, I'm talking about it well before some of the orthodox dogma set in, um, in order to establish that, uh, that tradition. And, um, you know, they endured suffering, and, and, and not just in that religion, and not just in that cause. People have sometimes been martyred, or what have you. At its worst, again, it's not something one should seek out, far from it. Um, but look what sometimes has come of it, and they might be moving like lightning through their yeah. uh, karmic path. And also, our karma is very long, isn't it? I mean, we have so many lifetimes that uh, we have yes. a lot of it, you know. Indeed, <laughs> and it, yes. it comes up, and of course, the more advanced we become, the more quickly we can go through our karmic pattern and learn the lessons and and move on. And then more Indeed. lessons come, and because, you know, it's a long, long path. So, it yes, certainly is, and, 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 and that, yeah, and, and that's a mistake I've heard quite often, and I've even heard it from... You know, football pundits, <laughs> believe it or not, you know, that they'll, they'll sort of say, well, you know, you must have done this or that or the other in your last life. Um, never mind this life. Uh, karma can come from very ancient times or it can come from very, very recent moments. Right. It can right. be almost instantaneous, but yeah. the song Instant Karma, much as I, you know, I think John Lennon came up with some brilliant ideas and thoughts and some wrong ones, but, uh, you know, for example, one of his brilliant ones, let's be positive, I think an outstanding statement he made was, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans, and that's very oh, yeah. true of a lot of us. That's a great statement. But on the other hand, instant karma, I know it might have been a bit um, one of his tongue-in-cheek sort of put-downs, but that isn't um, really how karma operates most of the time. It, it's it can speed up. It's certainly being created 24 hours a day. But, you, you, you know, you could, we could be learning lessons and in looking at the plight of some people on this planet and even what they're born into, one can't assume from that that, uh, you know, their last life they were a horror or a dreadful no. person or anything like that at all. We're all learning lessons at different speeds for different reasons uh, as part of our evolutionary progress. I think it's so important to bring that out in the teachings on karma. And um, mm. one thing, what I wanted to say, uh, Dr. King, our, our spiritual teacher, uh, taught some incredible sort of revolutionary ideas about karma, I think, because even now I think mm -hmm. people think it's um, something that just happens to you. You know, it's, uh, oh, that's your karma. Whereas he mm. came along and said it can be... Uh, transform that you can transform it you can manipulate it in a positive mm -hmm. way because within the law of karma there exists this vein of compassion which is a wonderful mm. way of looking at it which allows us mm. to, to kind of change things so nothing is inevitable and i i do astrology so i people want me to look into the future and see what's going to happen to them but i i say i can only give you trends because you know you are changing your calming pattern from moment to moment. And so nobody can really tell you exactly what's going to happen in a year's time or two years' time. And with that, no. But with that knowledge, with that foresight, we can also prepare, say we're coming into a difficult uh, time for relationships, which you can see in astrology, for example, with a particular person, you can prepare for that by, uh, in certain ways, by being aware of it, by being more... Um, thoughtful and so on and learning about relationships generally and actually can kind of come through this period um, in a much better way than when you went into it. So in other words, you can manipulate uh, difficulties that are coming up for you in the future in a positive way uh, or make the most of very positive times as well by being aware of them. And one doesn't have to use astrology, of course. I mean, Richard will tell you his you know, intuition, um, your feelings of what's going to happen, um, just 
uh, as you're going through periods of time now where things are difficult, you can take positive action and change things. So one doesn't have to feel depressed or this is going to happen. And this is very, very common in the astrological movement. And I actually had a reading myself a few years ago. And he said, during this time, your marriage is going to break up. Well, I've been married for 20 years. And I knew that wasn't the case 20 years next year, actually. And, but I could see what he was looking at and realize it was an interesting time of change in the relationship. So you have to be careful what you say and to pe other people when you are giving readings. But, um, you know, the, it's, a, it's a very liberating philosophy, this one of the fact that you can change or transform your karma rather than it being inevitable. It's very much in keeping, I think, with this age. And yes. uh, I know Dr. King taught that. I, I haven't really read it in the same way um, from anybody else. I don't know whether you have, Richard, that approach. No, I'm glad come. you said that. I'm glad you said that because I don't think anyone has been a greater exponent of karma yoga than Dr. George King uh, in, in our history that I know of um, in terms of explaining it, expressing it. Because if you look at some of the, I mean, the, the main strands of yoga, and, and this is the roots, if you like, our roots uh, in, in the Atheosati, because Dr. King himself was a yogi, and that was his training that in this life, and his background, and then, of course, he became even more than that. He became all the things we've talked about. He was, in fact, a cosmic avatar, and so on, and he became a great trance medium, and, and all the things we discuss on Aetherius Radio Live regularly. But the roots in his development were yoga. And, of course, going right back, um, you, you could say that the hero of the yogis, the ultimate hero of the yogis, I would say, was the, the being we refer to as the Lord Babaji. And in one of his manifest, manifestations, uh, he appears to people as a yogi, uh, one of those being, of course, the great Paramahansa Yogananda he appeared to. Um, and you know he's the if, in, in, and this is my take on it, Chrissy, the sort of the father, not only of spirituality on this earth, but of the yoga tradition. And the yoga tradition, of course, had many branches. And um, his particular, well, one of his particular, I'm sure all of them are his particular expertise, but one of them was, of course, Kriya Yoga, which he, he reintroduced through the line of Lahiri Mahasaya in modern times anyway, and Sri Yukteswar and Paramanda Yogananda and other lines pursue it as well. Uh, and that's a fascinating one. But the other main traditions uh, were, of course, uh, there are many yogas, but I would summarize them as four, which would be Raja Yoga, uh, as epitomized by Patanjali, the yoga, the pursuit of, uh, of mastering the mental and psychic forces within us, uh, to gain enlightenment or samadhi. Uh, Nani yoga, the yoga of wisdom, as you can see in a great being like Sri Shankaracharya, and then, of course, the earlier Upanishads and the Vedas, which I believe are far older than scholars say, because they were passed down orally for so long before they were ever written down. Uh, and then, of course, you have Bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion, which is normally associated with... Um, following a guru, actually, in the Eastern tradition. I think the Master Jesus, being the great master of love that he was, as we have talked about in many occasions, uh, took it to a much further level, loving all, loving your brother uh, as yourself, and or more than yourself, and so forth. Um, but And, of course, loving the Mother Earth, and, and expression of love and devotion. Uh, but in terms of karma yoga... Even in a most fantastic work like the Bhagavad Gita, which I think is undoubtedly more advanced um, than, the, say, the Holy Bible um, in, in many respects, um, it doesn't go anywhere near, in my opinion, the level that Dr. King has taken it to. Because even there, it was mainly focused on detachment. Detachment from what are known as samskaras or thought patterns, habitual thought patterns. Um, and non-attachment. So the karma yogi, in the traditional um, yoga teaching anyway, was a person who did, did work in the world, could be a householder, could be a farmer, could be a parent, uh, but would, did, would, would detach from this, even as they did it, for no, with no reward for themselves, and therefore they'd enter through that path, they'd start to enter a state of enlightenment. 
And it was really, uh, if it was really ordered, I mean, uh, they would have certain sections, perhaps in a rather sexist way, it was favoured the man, I would say, more than the woman in many cases, uh, where the man could later on peel away from the family and then in his, his later years uh, go into the more meditative life. But it didn't do what Dr. King does with karma yoga, which looks at it in a, I would say, a far more complete and more advanced manner. How much service are you giving to the whole? Not to your community, not just for the sake of detachment so you can focus on your own enlightenment, but for the sake of serving other people. And so, I mean, his view of, of the karmic, what we're now today just calling the karmic athlete, took it to whole new levels, I would say, Chrissy, as you rightly say. Absolutely. And there's a wonderful little book that he wrote, which you can get from a series.org website on karma. And it's, mm. a, it's a little booklet. It could have been a, a massive book, I think, but uh, mm-hmm. it just contains within it um, the truth about karma. And it's worth reading not just once, but many, many times, because it really is very profound and yet very practical and, and something that you can really incorporate into your, your life, isn't it? It's such a fantastic book. Mm. And your life, it, it, it is incorporated, whether we like it or not, 24 yeah. hours a day. Well, the, the idea, by the way, I should say, of the karmic athlete, I think I was going to go on to say, because this is one reason I gave the first talk at the Theosophical Society, because I got the idea from a, a book written by a, 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 a quite a well-known theosophist over here at one time, George Arundale, who was president of the Theosophical Society, I think in around about the 1930s. And it was a book on Kundalini, actually. And he was talking about people who have rises of Kundalini. I think it verges a little bit, this book, on uh, being slightly fearful, or it could, I'm not saying he was, but it could make you feel a bit fearful, because he does give a lot of warnings about, you know, what could be dire effects if you don't do it properly. But there was a particular phrase I never forgot, which is that to handle the kundalini, I think it's roughly these words, in these days, you virtually got to be a spiritual athlete. Oh, really? And I, I never forgot that. And I thought, okay, there's a, that's a great thing. And then I thought, well, in these days, the focus is on karma yoga, on service, even more than it is upon kundalini yoga. Um, you might do both. Uh, if, and, and by the way, I'm not recommending that most people do do kundalini yoga, but you can't get away from kundalini because that's everything as well in, internally yeah. Yeah. within us and beyond us, as a matter of fact, in certain respects too. But it, it, it's, it's the age of karma yoga, and so applying it to that came up with the karmic athlete. Yeah, it's a great title. And, and really, it's, I mean, the concept is purely based, as I say, because when I started to think about what is the karmic athlete, of course, I came back to what I always seem to come back to, Chrissy, which is the nine freedoms, because it is all there. And right. first of all, I thought about what are the, the qualities that uh, an athlete requires. And you, you hear about this quite a lot. And I came up with five, which yeah. are strength, energy, commitment, focus and self-belief strength energy commitment focus and self-belief and then when i really thought about you know how do you manifest strength how do you manifest energy how do you manifest commitment how do you manifest focus how do you manifest self-belief um i found well really those are or could be interpreted to be the first five of the nine freedoms yeah yeah uh, it's so interesting that. And um, now we could we could sort of go. Th- so you go on, let's please. Go through please. Them, yeah. We could go through them, or or we could uh, have an early break with Courtney and then and then start through the five. Well, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> okay. Thank you, guys. You're listening to a serious radio live with hosts Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze and today's topic, The Path of the Karmic Athlete. Upcoming events include Friday, August 21st from 7 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. class on prayer, a new yoga with Gary and Chrissy Blaze. This will take place at the Ethereum Society in Royal Oak, Michigan, and the address for that is 3119 North Campbell Road. 
The cost is $15, and to reserve your spot, please call 248-588-0290. For more information on upcoming events, classes, or for more information about your host, please visit www.richardlawrence.co.uk to connect with Richard Lawrence. And to connect with Chrissy Blaze, please go to www.chrissyblaze.com. You can also connect with this Ethereum Society by visiting their website, www.ethereus.org. And now we return you to your hosts, Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. Thanks, Courtney. Thank you very much, Courtney. Richard, I was just so, reading Christy, your, your article again this morning oh, yeah. from Kindred Spirit. And I think actually mm-hmm. you might be able to get it at, at sort of Barnes & Noble bookstores over here because I think I've seen it. So oh. do look out for it, listeners, if you're in the U.S., Kindred Spirit magazine. It really is one of the best New Age magazines around, I think. But I loved what you said in the first one, step one on strength, when you said, and this is, I know this is from the, the first freedom too, but you, you said the world is riddled with fears, which is true. Mm. And fear, mm. but you said fear is not caused by environment, but our reaction to it. I thought it was very interesting. Yes. I wonder if you could comment on that, Richard. Yes, I, I think it's, that's very much the yogic approach. And it's also come straight from the first freedom, which is bravery, because I think you could translate the sort of the physical strength of a physical athlete to, in the karmic athlete, into bravery. And I've always thought it's, it's highly significant, and it's not just what I think, I think everyone who, who's, who believes in the Nine Freedoms would say this, it's highly significant that the great karmic Lord Mars Sector 6 should choose bravery or, uh, and declare bravery to be the first freedom. You know, out of all the qualities you could think of that a spiritual person might have, the very first on the list, as far as he's concerned, the first step on the ladder, if you like, is bravery. So I thought, well, you know, when we think of bravery and when we think of courage, we on level one on this earth, we often think of, you know, firemen and acts of courage in war, maybe by non-combatants in, you know, bringing relief and great acts of valor, if you like. And of course, those are outstanding cases. But it's very much more what the, nine, the first freedom tells us, an everyday thing. We are clouded with yeah. fears. Some are conscious, some are not conscious. Uh, they, they affect our behavior. They affect, you know, whether we're willing to stand out for what we believe or not, whether we're willing to lose you know, fear of loneliness, fear of poverty, insecurities of every single kind. Mm-hmm. Will I not be popular if I behave like this? And therefore, people start adopting a persona which may not really be theirs because they know it works and they know it brings them popular or whatever it might be. These sort of subconscious innate fears, never mind fears of spiritual development, fears of facing the truth truth about ourselves, a uh, truth about life. Um, it's, it's a very, very broad-based thing. And uh, I think without it, we, we just can't go anywhere because uh, these, these things we're told in the first freedom are with us. Uh, they're, they're part of the human fabric. It's something we've developed. And it's something also which has been encouraged, as, and this is another topic we've touched on, by uh, dark forces. There are dark forces uh, on this level, and there are certainly dark forces below this level. And it's in their interests for us to be frightened. I mean, let's just take one example. The dogmas that were introduced into um, certain aspects of the church. Let me, let me, let me, I'm not saying it's a broad brush thing applying to everybody in the church, but certain aspects of it were very convenient for those who wanted to control them. Uh, because if they had fears of certain things, they wouldn't get above their station and so on. Um, and then you can see it in the material world. Um, you know, people think that, you know, fears of poverty, fears of, all these things are, they enable the control, whoever happens to be controlling, and they're badly intended to control you, the better. And of course, dark forces, if they're powerful enough, sow the seeds of fear into the mind belt. So we can have right, these yeah. sort of innate fears encouraged yeah. within us, particularly if we want to make a significant spiritual stride uh, and make a real difference and a change in the world. That's so true. That's so very, very true. And I think it's important to remember what you said. It's not Fear isn't caused by our environment, but it's how we react to it. I think that's 
really mm-hmm. a, a liberating thought too. And I, I suppose the way to overcome yes. fears, um, you know, we find in the nine freedoms and the first freedom. But also, I was thinking uh, something you were saying earlier about that, Richard. That um, it's it's not attaching to things; is it? it's learning detachment. Yeah. Yes. Because when we attach absolutely. to something, we attach to our ambition or our success, or and it can seem to be really, really positive and really good, but at the end of the day, um, it, you know, it can just all fade away, and there mm-hmm. we're left in this state of fear, you know. So, mm-hmm. and not allowing other people also to transfer their own fears or their own negativity onto us, and and they might do it consciously right. or they might do it unconsciously, and they'll pass this on to us. And we have to be just, and they may be good people as far as, they may be very close to us, but we have to be very aware of this and, and as you rightly say, not become attached to it. And it's how we react that counts. Uh, I think, well, we've done a whole broadcast, haven't we, on the first freedom. Um, So that's really step one on the path of the karmic athlete, strength. I think just before we finish strength, you mentioned Swami Vivekananda earlier, and here's another quote by him, and it's a pretty devastating quote. Strength is goodness, weakness is sin. <laughs> you know, and so often, particularly I think in our world, and it's certainly that, that quote by uh, Swami Vivekananda is a very yogic approach. If you look at the real uh, masters of yoga, uh, they are no nonsense at all. They're, they're very strong, they're very straight, and they don't mess about. But we tend to think, oh, poor so-and-so, they're weak. And if somebody else is a bit of a more forceful personality, well, it must be that forceful personality, almost though it's not the weak personality's fault. Uh, but, you know, through weakness, I mean, we've seen examples in history of people's mm. weakness permitting wars. Right. You know, they might have been in a position to do something about it, but they, they, didn't, they, they didn't initiate the war. But they didn't stop it when they could do, or they didn't vote against it when they could do, or, and so on. Uh, they stood by, you know, perhaps during the slave trade or during some other uh, bad period of our history, out of weakness. Uh, they, they, they wouldn't have gone out and set up the slave trade themselves, but they allowed it to continue and didn't, didn't stand up. It would have been embarrassing for them or not the thing to do or whatever they felt. Um, and that is, you know, they're just as culpable in the end. That weakness allowed it to happen. Yeah. It sort of goes hand but in I think hand that's with what apathy, really, the, doesn't it? Yes, Weak, I think that's what this hand is. hand in hand. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a Chrissy Blaze quote. Weakness <laughs> and apathy go hand in hand. Well, unfortunately they do. And this is why bravery has to be the first freedom, I suppose, because we have to yes. fight it every step of the way on this. And I think in our sphere... Yeah, and in the Ethereist Radio Live and in the Ethereist Society and those who are, who are members or sympathizers or interested in it, it takes a certain bravery to accept teachings like this, uh, to be open-minded enough to take them on board and even to be open enough and honest enough and uh, to, to stand by them. And I think this is one of the great qualities, by the way, of the, the, the staff and the members of the Ethereist Society from all walks of life and all countries of, well, not all countries, but all parts of the world, let's say, certainly all continents of the world, you know, who will stand by this. They're very different people, but they're all joined in this one ability to recognize, first to recognize a truth, uh, even if it isn't in keeping with the general mindset of the world, and then to have the bravery to accept it and stand by it and live by it. Yes, absolutely. So and step two then, Chrissy. No, oh, I'm interrupting you again. Please go on. No, no, I was just, I, I just going to say that um, there's also a fear, I think, of expressing one's spirituality and kind of not knowing how to do it. And this kind of leads into step two, I think, because mm-hmm. um, the teachings in the Ethereum Society on how to express your spirituality are very, very profound and very practical. And, and you're mm-hmm. moving right into that with the second step on energy, I think. And I, this is... Mm-hmm. Um, I wondered if you'd like to comment on that. Yes, well, I mean, step step two uh, of the qualities I, I 
picked out for the physical athlete. We've got his strength, we need or her strength, and now it's his or her energy. But of course, the energy used by the karmic athlete is love. And in fact, it's really the only energy in the entire cosmos, that wonderful transmission, the one energy, which we refer to in our broadcast on Saturn, of course. Um, And this is the motivating power of all that's good and lasting, and this is certainly absolutely essential, the, the, the tool of the trade or whatever the phrase is, the, the, the whole essence of the karmic athlete is to radiate love energy. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because, you know, um, sometimes, you know, as you mentioned earlier in the show, we both have some illness going on and sometimes I'm thinking I just don't have the energy, but I find I don't have the physical energy but I find when I do my prayers, for example, mm-hmm. suddenly this energy flows through me. And I think, well, why am I worried about the physical energy? It's nice to have when there's mm. this tremendous uh, spiritual energy at our disposal, which we all have, no matter how sick we may be or not. Yes, there's a, there's a universal supply, a limitless supply uh, at, our, at our beck and call. And of course, we, we, go, we know the various ways we can do it uh, through healing, through prayer through mantra but also through what we radiate all the time and of course the beauty is the more that we do these things the more we'll just radiate it naturally and i think we all know what it's like to come into a a healing presence Um, looking at the second freedom um chrissy i i picked out some of the keys there um and of course another source i should mention too is the third blessing by the master jesus someone who Uh, is associated as the master of love the master jesus really demonstrated this wonderful energy so brilliantly and wonderfully but some of the keys picked out in the second freedom uh, i'll go through um a cosmic appreciation uh we're told is one of the ways if we have this cosmic appreciation that we will naturally start to radiate more of this energy of love um, and, in, and do stop me on any of these points, Chrissy. I'm just going through a little list I did when I studied this freedom. Number two, an enlightened approach. Uh, I think that makes sense. I think if, we, if we're more enlightened, then we know more that we're part of the whole, and uh, we, we naturally are concerned with the whole far more, so we'll radiate love. We won't feel isolated as a... You know, I'm just me and my family or me and my village or me and my country. You know, it's me and all life. That's the more enlightened approach. Um, Then another one, and as I say, do stop me if you want to comment on any of these, Chrissy, is to understand people's feelings and problems. I think that's that's quite a, a key there. Some people don't try to actually, I don't think, too hard to understand people's feelings and problems. No. And um, it's also one of the keys, I think, to, to although this isn't the point of this particular um, quality uh, at the moment, but I think it makes you a happier person because you're not so concentrating just on your own feelings and problems and you're starting to focus on others and you get released more from your own because, you know, we all have problems, we all have issues to deal with, but you can always find cases that are far more difficult and and, and make ours look rather silly really by comparison and this kind of understanding does tend to generate the energy of love absolutely i think that's so true Mm. that's so true that's such a helpful uh, phrase doesn't it concentrate on the you know feelings of others i'm paraphrasing Mm. here it's so Mm. helpful to do that when you are going through your tests Mm -hmm. it really is it really does work it does work. And then another point that's made by Marseta 6 in the second freedom is to that we can radiate love in our waking and sleep states. In fact, he says the more we radiate this in our waking states, the more we'll do it in our sleep states. And of course, this is very important for the karmic athlete because we're creating karma 24 hours a day. And things go on in our sleep state. Uh, it can be anything from... Um, an enlightened mystical experience, whether we remember it or not, all the way through to a very basic and regrettable incident, Um, or just a sort of meandering of thought going nowhere in particular. But whatever we are doing, uh, we're, we're creating karma. And I think some people will know that they can wake up, they may not know why sometimes, the wiser with certain 
clarity of thought. And this could be a result of thinking or even experiences they've been having on the other realms overnight. And they might have been radiating love and then they, they'll feel more bathed in love when they wake up. And of course, vice versa. Yeah, that's a very good point. So that's my fourth point on my list. Our eyes. <laughs> mm. Still going on. And then the fifth point was uh, a point made, these are all points made by Mars Sector 6, uh, I'm putting them in my own words here, to rise above possession is a key to love. Not to be mm. possessive, not to be possessive with other people, not to be possessive of, of things. Uh, these are attachments, as we mentioned earlier, and these yeah. can hold us back. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's a, it's a it's a shame, really. And again, this is something we said before: how the word love has been so debased, and it's become you know associated with who you're attracted to, and probably who you like. But actually, in its true essence, it's got nothing to do with how attracted you are to anyone or how much you like them. True love is above like and dislike. In yeah. fact, I could give a great quote which you wrote on love. I thought it was really good from your article. If you oh. don't mind, Richard. <laughs> Love okay. is the motivating power of all that is good and lasting, preserving, healing, and transmuting for the betterment of all life. Love can be released through spiritual practices, prayer, healing, enhanced by visualization. So that's pretty right. good, that. Oh, well, you're a writer, so I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> but long as it's true, which I, I, I believe it is. So those, those are five. Power of all that is good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and, and, and you know, I've often thought with healing. You know, um, you can, you can. It's interesting with healing because sometimes a particular healer will be better for a particular patient than another healer. It's nothing against right. the healer. Uh, it just means that a person, certain type of patient might want a calmer type of treatment. So that's C A L M E R. Uh, what's the karma <laughs> of being calmer, Chrissy? And then um, you know, another, another patient might want maybe a more dynamic energizing type of persona giving them healing and so that that can happen and we all know that we've been involved in healing there's nothing wrong in this but love the love energy in itself is above that and everyone can channel that love energy and if we get to the if we were able to get to the real root of love it would be above mind and it we would then be able to radiate whatever it, whoever we were whatever that patient needed it would be above mind mentality, psychology, and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my sixth point on the list uh, of love is raise the Kundalini in balance. That's a massive one. That's probably for another program. That's a, a topic in itself. I think so. <laughs> but must be mentioned and is mentioned by Mars Sector 6. And finally, and this is also uh, stressed by the Master Jesus throughout the Twelve Blessings, actually, and it's not a popular one, but um, it's an interesting and a significant one and shouldn't be ignored, and that's sacrifice. That's oh. a, a key to love, sacrifice. Mm -hmm. you, you know the word sacrifice, I believe it's from the Latin, uh, literally means, I believe, to make holy. Mm. To make holy. It's not quite what we think. And it was known in many schools that you couldn't get, you couldn't really advance beyond a certain point unless you did make certain sacrifices. Yeah. But of one kind that. or another. Yeah. But in this case, it's also a key to love. So that brings us on to our step three, Chrissy. I don't know if you want to comment on the step three on our list of five. Oh, step three, commitment. Yes. Um, this. You said for, for the karmic athlete, commitment is, is service. And I think that's mm. um, very, very true. And you also said um, uh, something I know we believe in the Ethereum Society, that we're put on this earth for service. That's why we're here, is to yes. give service. And I think when we accept this, um, our true destiny, then mm -hmm. we can achieve great joy, you know, and have a wonderful, joyful life, whatever might come our way. Um, and it's accepting this, that we're here to give service. I think it's a very, very important fundamental thing that you mention in this uh, step three. It's probably the most important, really, for most of us. Um, it's, it's the yoga of these days. And I'm glad you mentioned yeah. destiny. May, may I take the chance to quote Dr. Albert Schweitzer? Yes. 
yes. And this is a quote from him. He said, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I do know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and really I, I always... And he did, and I always think he's a great example because, not only because of what he did, because of what he didn't do. Now, there, there was a person who, and I was brought up on Dr. Albert Schweitzer. So my mother used to read uh, it me when I, when I went to bed, not uh, about Noddy or something, but about Dr. Albert Schweitzer. Oh, really? So I, I, I got to know his life, and he was quite a brilliant man, and he was a great musician, great organist, and could have been a professional, uh, could have been his vocation easily, and he loved it. He was a great um, theologian, very knowledgeable theologian, um, but he looked at the world and thought, how can I be of the most use at this particular time? And he decided he could be of the most use by becoming a doctor. And that's why he became a doctor, and that's why he ended up, as we know, in leper colonies and all the rest of it, and all the great things that he did. Not because... It was like his, inverted commas, vocation, but it became his vocation, but only because of a motivation of service. Whereas most people, they sort of think, well, what is it that I want to do? What is it that I find fulfilling? What am I good at? And then how can I help people with it? And I think, you know, that in itself can be, you you can do karma yoga that way, of course you can, but he would be one step above that, really, because he's detached, even from what he wanted to do, or even what he was good at, and he's done what he felt he was on earth to do, and gone out and then learned to do it, and then, of course, it became his, his lifelong vocation. Absolutely. I know, I know you love yoga in all of its forms, Richard, and it's interesting in the do. article you also said that next to service, other forms of yoga pale because of its selflessness. Would you like to comment on that? I do, because, yes, and, and, and much more than me, of course, Dr. George King uh, made that point. He said you need the other yogas to gain the powers so that you can serve. I mean, even he even looked at it that way. You know, you, they, they are only there in a sense, so that you can serve more. But I, I do remember an incident, um, and it, uh, this is something that Alan Mosley told me. I didn't hear it myself, uh, but I was on the, and you were probably there. It was um, a, a pilgrimage in the 1970s to Holston Down, which, by the way, for all listeners, we have another pilgrimage coming up to Holston Down on the 25th, uh, Saturday the 25th of July. You can find all the details on uh, ethereus.org, of course. Um, but... I do remember him saying that uh, a yogi came up on that. I saw the man. He, uh, you might remember him. He had long, white, flowing robes and long hair. He wasn't uh, connected to the Ethereum Society, but he decided to come, and well done him. And he went up to Dr. King and said, you know, I've been to the Godhead. And Dr. King said, well, did you take your hat off, first of all? <laughs> but that was his sense of humor. Yeah. But then he said, um, okay, so you've been to the Godhead, so then you know one thing. You know that all is one. And since you know that all is one, then the thing to do is to, the only logical thing to do is to serve. Yeah. I thought that was brilliantly put from one yogi to, uh, I won't put him in the same class as Dr. King because I don't believe he was, but he certainly was a professed yogi of some kind. Um, and of course, it was a great lesson. And, and, it must be true. I mean, it's the one thing that, and we're going to talk about meditation in the next Ethereum Radio Live program, which will be about meditation for this age, based on the transmission by Mars Sector 6 in issue 17 of Cosmic Voice. But we'll, we'll go into that fully next month. But the one thing that all the great ones who have experienced it have told us that this brings us is a sense of oneness, a sense of oneness with all life. And how is that, how is that expressed? Through service. How else can it be expressed? So it must be the greatest path. Yes, you also say um, through meditation we may realize the oneness of all life, but through service we live it. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I'm, uh, thanks for quoting these things back to me, Chrissy. <laughs> uh, and I, and I, do, I do think, actually, that this is all the great uh, change that um, Dr. King has brought, and others, by the way, have started to bring to, to a, I would say, to a lesser extent, but nevertheless to a considerable extent. There are others talking about service as the way and the great thing. And in fact, all, I think, all the great teachers have always said that service is the greatest thing, but now it's it's the path. You don't have to wait to serve. You don't have to uh, achieve a certain level before you can serve. You, you, you can get stuck in and you can, that's really the commitment we're talking about, transposed into service as step three for the path of the karmic athlete. But I think we're going to have to move on and we won't get through the other two, Chrissy. So do you want yeah, to lead us into to, step four? Yeah, we have to get really focused now, don't we? <laughs> yes, step we four do. Yes. Focus. Um, very, very important. Concentration, contemplation, and meditation are the steps, and um, mm. a very, very helpful practice of regular breathing exercises to harness the great universal life forces, unlock your psychic powers, your intuition. All of these things can be achieved, but with having that focus is so important because otherwise we don't really achieve anything much if we just kind of get up in the morning and go about responding to things as you know we all busy but to to really focus on where we're going and we've we've established that our destiny is service in one of its many hundreds of thousands of forms on this planet prayer is mm -hmm. a great way to give uh, service um but you need that focus to really achieve and uh, something certainly the the physical athletes do and something the karmic athletes also have to do too to achieve their um, spiritual goals. Yes, indeed. And of course, the karmic athlete, uh, this translates, I would say, into enlightenment, the fourth freedom, uh, right. because true focus comes through, as you rightly said, co co moving from concentration through contemplation into meditation. We won't dwell on this too much because the next... Uh, next month is all about meditation for this age and where meditation fits where does meditation actually fit into the this age of the of karma yoga does it belong there at all and if so how much because there was a time when meditation was the way meditation was put above all else and you can look at the upanishads and the vedas and you'll find that stated in there even though service is mentioned of course but that was regarded as the the highest and the greatest path and there's a reason for that which we'll go into. But does that mean we do away with meditation? Well, no, it doesn't, and, and we'll certainly go into that. There's one thing I would say, though, talking about the karmic athlete, uh, this wonderful quote, and, and it's in the book you mentioned, Karma and Reincarnation, by Dr. King, this quote, karma is pressure, which mm. was a very helpful, I think, explanation there in three simple words given by Dr. George King of how it operates. It operates as pressure towards conformity with the law of karma, of course. These things, these things that come along, be they good things, be they difficult things, or somewhere in between, they're all designed, if we're going with the flow of karma, to take us onwards, to take us upwards, to move, so that we become more enlightenment. And I, I would add to that, Chrissy, I think by the same token, the more enlightened we become, the more karmic pressure we're able to take. Right. Because sure it can be quite intense, you know, for sure, if, if, depending on what our responsibilities are in this world. And that's why it's so important to have that balance of the meditation and the breathing exercises, as you say, affirmations. Mm -hmm. And you include a beautiful affirmation in, in the article, too, I am divine spirit, um, mm -hmm. reinforces our belief in our contact with who we really are, our real self, with this simple affirmation which is mm. uh, so crucial and moving for to step five then Chrissy um, because we've we're, we're got only about five minutes left I think uh, Heracles Hercules went beyond and of course this is self-belief the fifth step in the in the physical athlete so we've had strength energy commitment focus self-belief for the karmic athlete bravery love service enlightenment and Hercules went beyond self-belief through self-knowledge to self-realization. He was the epitome of human excellence as an expression of the divine self. He demonstrated that we can all realize our inner potential. 
And of course, the ultimate state of realization on earth used to sometimes be called nirvana, sometimes called the heavenly state. Uh, we now know as cosmic consciousness. So true self-belief, actually moving beyond belief to realization, self-realization would be by, attained by one who entered that ultimate state, uh, which happens to be, of course, the fifth freedom. Yes. So, Chrissy, I thought I, I might just, you know, to make it perhaps interesting for listeners, just end with uh, three quotes um, yes. which give, I think, partial glimpses. I mean, obviously, we know the, one, the best section I would recommend above all would be the wonderful uh, extract in The Nine Freedoms, where Dr. King described cosmic consciousness in a way it's never been described before, and moves on to a stage and a step, and I won't spoil it for people who haven't read it, which I think is completely unique, how he comes out of that state. Uh, I think it's a completely unique example, uh, even among yogis, certainly that we know of. So I'll, I'll give that taste, and I, I don't want to spoil that. I'd like people to have a chance to read it. But I'd like to give you a, a little quotes of this enlightened state, because, you know, it's interesting. This is a result of Kundalini rising, as all high states are. Um, but, you know, there are many people who had such states, or let's say partially had such states, who weren't aware of, of kundalini at all perhaps they lived in the west perhaps it had never be, become known and i would imagine i don't know this that one of those was uh, dante um and this you know people talk about dante's inferno and we've talked about it on your radio show chrissy um yes. and and he's actually given me a message about it as as people might have seen on my website but here's a quote from another section of the Divine Comedy called Paradiso, or if you like, Heaven. And this is what he said. My wings were not meant for such a flight, except that then my mind was struck by lightning through which my longing was at last fulfilled. Here powers failed my high imagination, but by now my desire and will were turned like a balanced wheel rotated evenly by the love that moves the sun and the other stars. That's and I beautiful. think for someone writing, you know, what, five, six, seven hundred years ago, whatever it is now, I, I should know really, that's quite outstanding and can only that's come from some kind of realization. That's very outstanding and very beautiful too. Yeah. And I think there are sometimes you can find in a writer examples which show they've experienced something. And here's another one, and this happens to be Wordsworth writing in the 18th century. I think the poem is Tintern Abbey. And this is very technical. This is a very technical description of uh, what might be called today, or in Eastern writings, a somadic condition. Let me read this to you from this poem by Wordsworth. That serene and blessed mood in which the affections gently lead us on until the breath of this corporeal frame and even the motion of our human blood almost suspended we are laid asleep in body and become a living soul, while with an eye made quiet by the power of harmony and the deep power of joy, we see into the life of things. Oh, wow. I don't know that. So I think for, yeah, I mean, for William Wordsworth to come up with that, he had no source books, no yoga books, he must have experienced it. And of course, one of the interesting, just to name a couple of things, is the, the suspension of human blood is uh, one of the things that takes place. Um, and we know the suspension of the heartbeat quite often. And then this reference to an eye made quiet by the power of harm. He doesn't say eyes. He wouldn't have heard of the third eye in any writings he'd have come across. But he said with an eye. So he must, that comes from knowledge. And before we run out of time, I'll, I'll quote, close with Paramahansa Yogananda, who, of course, did know about the Kundalini and so on. And this was his description. By deeper, longer, thirsty, guru-given meditation comes this celestial samadhi. Mobile murmurs of atoms are heard. The dark earth, mountains, veils, low molten liquid, flowing seas, changing into vapors of nebulae, 
AUM blows upon the vapors, opening wondrously their veils. Oceans stand revealed, shining electrons, till at last the sound of the cosmic drum vanish the grosser lights into eternal rays of all-pervading bliss. Oh, that's fantastic too, isn't it? You picked up some it really is. fantastic quotes. Yeah. Uh, and when I say that those three quotes aren't as good as, in my definite opinion, well, I don't even get really into the same league, I'd say, brilliant as they are, as the Fifth Freedom writing by Dr. King about his own state. Well, I, I would ask readers who have the Nine Freedoms to go back and read that again and, and uh, feel free to comment on the, uh, on the website if you wish to do so. Thank you very much, uh, Richard. And um, over to Courtney Thank for the you. closing announcements. your cosmic connection the third Tuesday of each month at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. You can connect with the Aetherius Society at www.aetherius.org. You can connect with Richard Lawrence by visiting his website, richardlawrence.co.uk. And you can connect with Chrissy Blaze by visiting her website at chrissyblaze.com. Thank you all for listening today, and have a wonderful rest of the month. Bye-bye.